You're listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. For more information, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk. Good morning, everyone. See you 1009. And it says, Jesus feeds the 5,000. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus told them to make all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then they gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was five thousand. Morning, church. Good to be with you today on the Lord's Day. Um, If you haven't done so already, as was read to us, do uh, turn to to Mark and chapter uh, 6, where we'll be looking at what we're looking at this morning. Um, I don't know about you, uh, this is obviously, as we will find more and more uh, as we go through the Gospel of of Mark uh, in order, you'll just come up with stories that are very familiar with you, to you. And it's, um, it's really good to, uh, to, to come back and be reminded of them and dig a bit deeper. Uh, I, don't, I don't know about you, but when I come to, uh, to the feeding of the 5,000, a couple of things pop up in my mind. So I think of the old classic uh, hymn, Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah. I'm not singing it today. I'm not going to attempt to sing it for you today. Uh, but it's wonderful words if I get it some, like, I hadn't planned on saying this, but something along the lines of, Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak, but you are mighty. Guide me with your powerful hand. Bread of heaven, bread, bread of heaven, feed me now and evermore. Uh, so, so I think of, uh, of that, of course. Uh, but I also think of a story, and the story I've shared uh, once before here at church, but as there are some new faces, I'll do it again. It's the story of, of George Muller and just how he was a man uh, who lived by faith, who relied on food and the gifts and generosity of other people, even though, even though he never asked for it personally. So he was a Christian uh, missionary evangelist in Bristol, and um, he uh, conducted or he was a coordinator of orphanages throughout uh, England. 
and he cared for over about 120,000 tr- uh, children throughout his lifetime, travelled around the world proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to over 42 uh, countries, challenging believers about world missions, challenging believers to trust in God. And he very helpfully for us uh, wrote journals which described some of the miracles and, and the wonderful ways in which uh, Jesus provided for him and the orphanages, such as this one here. He said, one morning all the plates and cups and bowls on the, on the table were empty. There was no food in the larder and no money to buy food. The children were standing, waiting for their morning meal, when Muller said, children, you know uh, we must be in time for school. Then lifting up his hands, he prayed, dear father, we thank you for what you are about to give us to eat. And then at that moment, when there was nothing on the table, a knock on the door. The baker stood there and said, Mr. Muller, I couldn't sleep last night at all. Somehow I felt you didn't have bread for breakfast and the Lord wanted me to send you some. So I got up at 2 a.m., baked some fresh bread and I brought it with me. And then shortly after him thanking the leader, there was another knock on the door. It was the milkman. The milkman had announced that his milk cart had broken down right in front of the orphanage and that he would like to give all of this milk to the orphans so that it didn't go off and go to waste. And it was just a wonderful account of Dr. Oh, sorry, of George Muller uh, detailing how uh, the bread of heaven, the one who satisfies, the one who, who provides, Jehovah Jireh provides for his people that trust in him. And I was reminded of these two things as we come to the text this morning. Brothers and sisters, you, you must be reminded this morning from, from me and from the Holy Scriptures that Christ, Christ is the one that only meet, not only meets our needs, more importantly and above it all, he is the one that fulfills the longing and weary soul. Come to him this morning if you are hungry, if you are in need of refreshment, if you need to be satisfied this morning, come to Christ, the bread of heaven. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. So, uh, Chris has already said that this is mentioned in all of the, the gospel accounts, and it's worth reading them to just compare and see the different details that each of the evangelists pick up on. But before we start, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, uh, we come to you now. Hallowed be your name. You are great and you are awesome. And Father, we must confess uh, that often, as has already been said, we stray and we look for satisfaction and fill in in other things, and we're sorry. We're sorry we do this. We're sorry uh, we don't learn at times and we keep doing it. But we thank you, Lord, for your word that says you are merciful and your compassions and your mercies are, are new each and every morning. And so as we come to you now, Lord, genuinely wanting to learn, genuinely wanting to change this habit and fight against our flesh, to come to you, to seek you, to be satisfied in you, that, Lord, you would please by your spirit feed us and show us that you are infinitely more worthy and more satisfying than anything that this world can possibly offer us. So help us with these truths, we pray, in your name and for your glory. Amen. Okay, so, so a question... Sorry, I couldn't hear what you said. Siri couldn't hear what I said, so that's the sound desk. There you go, turn it up. Okay, so this is mentioned in all of the Gospels. What, I, I wonder why, if you've ever thought, thought through this, why is it mentioned in all of the Gospels? Let, let me give you three conclusions that I've come up. It's not an exhaustive list. They're just my three. First thing, okay? Well, in fact, let me give you all three up front. Number one, it's a historical event, yeah? The Gospel 
accounts are written as historical events. They're detailing the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. Number two, it shows us the love and the pastoral care that Jesus has for his people. Yeah? And number three, it shows us that Jesus is the fulfillment of the scriptures, past, present and future. So first, it's a historical event. Secondly, it shows us the love and pastoral care that Jesus has. And third, it shows Jesus as the fulfillment of the scriptures. So number one, it is a historical event. The reason why it's in the book is because it actually happened. Mark, remember, is writing for Peter and the gospel evangelists who have all detailed this event are recording them as eyewitnesses. They're recording what they have seen and know to be true. And I guess if you were to go through all of the miracles, this one would be one of the most memorable, just by virtue of its its scale and the vastness of it. Five loaves, two fishes. At the end of the passage, 5,000 men are fed, which if you didn't know, and as Bible scholars say, that probably means more like 15 to 20,000 people were fed because it doesn't account for the women and the children. Food and crowds were big events. Fast forward to chapter 8 and you see another feeding of the masses taking place. It's a great and it's an awesome story demonstrating Jesus' miraculous power. So much so that people throughout the ages and liberalist uh, movements have tried to sort of refute or explain away the supernatural uh, nature of some of these events that have taken place. They, they try and sort of, if you like, apologetically cover it up. And this is no different. We do this today. Uh, so it's popular in liberal, even evangelicalism, liberal evangelical, to try and explain some of the uh, miracles that have taken place and try and justify it or humanize it and explain from an earthly manner rather than accepting that what has taken place here is supernatural and have come at the hands of the Son of God. So, for example, in the 20th century, there was a group uh, called the Jesus Seminar that came out of another group. And they sought specifically to either do away uh, with all of the miracles in the Bible by explaining them rationally, uh, such as this miracle here, the feeding of the 5,000. And movements like that and others, they try to explain such events in a way that doesn't stretch the imagination. And some of you have conversations with that today with people that aren't believers. They're trying, uh, you'll hear of, of different sort of um, uh, strategies or different explanations to try and humanize it and explain how it, how it could have happened in the natural, right? And that's no different. That's been happening for a long time. Uh, So this particular, this Jesus seminar, which is a popular school of thought amongst liberal Christians, said that what Jesus had done is he had previously filled up a cave with fish and bread, tons of fish and bread. And what they did was they formed this big human chain, right, the disciples, and they were all sort of shiftily sort of passing it along down the chain, up from, from, this is genuine, up through the back of Jesus' cloak. And he must have had like these great big Gandalf wizard sleeves or something, and he was pulling out the fish and the it's absolutely ridiculous. So they're saying that miracles stretch the imagination too much, and their conclusion is to come up with this type of thing, which I think stretches the imagination even more. So some of the other things that they, that they say is that this is actually not a, a literal miracle, but rather it's a symbolic one. 
It's, it's, the, it's the meaning behind the miracle. So they said this boy, which we hear about in John, had five fishes, uh, sorry, two fishes and five loaves, and they were brought to Jesus. And so as Jesus said, right, the crowds are to be broken down into, uh, if you like, troops of, of 50 and 100. They are now, as you have seen this boy do for me and my disciples, you are now to ask in those groups, do you have any lunch and share it amongst yourselves? And so it's actually the moral of the story that we are to go and we are to share what we have amongst our, our, our groups and our spheres of influence. And they say, so it's not a natural miracle where it went and fed all of the crowds. Of course it isn't. How can that happen? But rather they were shared in these distinct sort of groups of 50 and 100. So they say the miracle is in getting people to share their food. Now, obviously, the claims of such liberalism we refute. And we continue to refute a liberal version of Christianity that seeks to reinterpret the supernatural nature of the Gospels, such as as we see as popular today, like the virgin birth, the sinless life of our Lord Jesus, his signs and his miracles, his bodily death, his bodily resurrection. He is God the Son. And we accept the supernatural uh, the supernatural claims of scripture, particularly as we see in the miracles of Christ. So these events then are recorded because they happened and they are in there to show us the lordship and the power of Jesus. He is not just Mary's son. He is God's son. And these events and wonderful miracles are written, says John in his gospel account, that you may hear and that by hearing you may believe. So it's a historical document and they're written down so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Second point, this story highlights the love and the pastoral care of Jesus. Now, put this uh, encounter in its context. The, the apostles have just returned from their short-term mission, which, which we heard from uh, John last week. They enjoyed great success. Evidently, they were tired because in verse 21, Jesus says to them, come away with me. Now, wonderful phrase. I was thinking on that for a while. Just imagine Jesus saying that. Come away with me and rest for a while. Take some time out from the busyness of ministry, the busyness of serving. Come away and rest with me by yourself to rest for a while. And brothers and sisters, there are, there are times in our walk and in our serving when we need to spend some time out with the Lord. But we need to be a little bit careful with this particular example. I was listening to Premier Radio Talk only yesterday on the radio. I don't know why it was on, but it came on. And as it did, this exact passage came up. And the presenter was using it as a springboard for a message of, of, of rest. But actually, if you, you read the entirety of this context here, this particular story, the problem with using this passage as a springboard for a message about rest, is that it doesn't last very long, does it? So when you, when you read for it, no sooner than Jesus had invited them to come away from the slog of ministry in Jesus' name, are they once again surrounded by the demand of ministry life all over again, verses 34 to, 33 to 34. Do you see it? So even the place where they had intended to spend some time recuperating they are once again surrounded by great crowds. Not the best one to pick out about taking time to rest. Now, we all know the importance of rest. We spoke about this a couple of weeks ago. But how does Jesus respond to the demands facing him and his disciples here? 
How do you respond when you're tired and the church and people and so many factors are demanding so much of you? Well, here's a good example. Let's look to Jesus. Jesus looks at them, Mark records, verse 14, and how does he do so? What does it say? It says that he looks at them with someone blurted out. Don't be shy, you're right. Compassion, that's right. Now, it might have been more understandable within their tiredness. Jesus sent the crowds away, right? But he showed no such frustration that he couldn't have a time of peace and quiet with his inner circle. He was not annoyed by the demands of the people. That meant he couldn't even get a minute away with his friends. No. No scheduling necessary. No comeback later. You're not invited. Mark simply says, Jesus is moved by compassion. Now, when you look up this word compassion, it's only used in the context, only used speaking of Jesus in the whole of the New Testament. Jesus is the only one associated with this particular form of the word compassion. It's a a compassion that goes above and beyond our type of compassion that we have the ability to to contain and to, to give away. Speaking specifically or referring and attached only to Jesus. Jesus, the compassionate one. So where others fall short and disappoint and lack compassion, the contrast that we see is Jesus, who is full of compassion and never turns people away. He is full of love and tender mercy towards his people. Saints, that may be a a, a word of encouragement to some of you today. Jesus will never turn you away. Come as you are to the compassionate one full of mercy, full of love, and full of compassion for his weary people. It's amazing, isn't it, how we seek to find that in other people, how we put that demand on other friends, on spouses, on leaders, and on on our families. But it's a place that is only meant to be fulfilled by Christ the Lord, and it's unfair to put that on other people. It can only be met and truly satisfied in the Lord. Peter says, cast all of your anxiety on him. Put it all on him. It's not that we can't talk to our friends, our spouses and our loved ones. But ultimately, as believers, that's meant to be taken to and placed upon the Lord. And Peter says, why? He says, because he cares for you. He's not only compassionate, he he cares for you and wants to hear you. The picture here of the crowds and Jesus is one of a, of a shepherd who looks at his people. Christ looks at his people as lost sheep. And this is an analogy in the Bible that is often used between a shepherd and a sheep. And you've heard me speak on this before. So in the Bible, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and Moses are all described one time in their lives or another as being kinds of shepherds. King David was a shepherd boy. And as a shepherd boy and a young man, he wrote the Psalms, some of which we've already had read to us, and one of which is is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. Israel in the Old Testament was described as being ruled by shepherds. Some were good, like King David, and some were bad shepherds, who instead of leading God's people, misled them and lied. So, for example, look at Ezekiel 34. In fact, I'm going to come back to that one. So, false shepherds throughout the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, pastors and elders are described as being shepherds. They're they're called to lead God's people like shepherds. 
Jesus in one of his parables describes how a shepherd has a hundred sheep and one of them goes missing. So he sets out to find it and bring it back into the fold. The Bible is indeed rich uh, in analogies of sheep and shepherds. Sheep and shepherds. With Jesus himself declaring that he is the good shepherd. Someone that we and you can trust to lead your lives. Someone that you can trust and rely on to protect you and nourish you. And what Mark is showing us here is that as the good shepherd looks upon these crowds of people like sheep without shepherd, he has compassion on them because he is the reflection of God. He is God. He is God's son who loves his people. And his response out of this great love, do you see it? And follow with me. So you're not just relying on everything I say, although that you can do that. But it's much better that you rely on God's word. So do you see it for yourself? Two responses that we see. One, Jesus shows compassion. We've already established that. He sees the lostness. He sees the scattered sheep. And he shows compassion and love towards them. Verse 34b. And as a response of that, the first thing that he does is what? Out of his compassion. He teaches them. Do you see it? He teaches them things concerning God and his kingdom. And as we read through the entirety of the gospel and at the beginning of the gospel, part of that teaching was to repent and put their faith not in the world, not on fulfilling your lives and satisfying your lives with other things, but putting your trust and your confidence in Christ. Believe the gospel, repent of your sins and believe. We also know as we read through the other gospels that they would have heard words such as what we hear on the Mount of Beatitudes about loving God and loving people. Words of life, words that we need to hear. We are called to love God and we are called to love people. We are called to bless and not curse. We need to grip this in our reality today, in our, in, in our worlds today, in our relationships today, where it's so easy to hang on to grudges. It's so easy to be bitter and resentful. But the Bible, Jesus said, words of life, said don't forgive, bless those that curse you. The message of Jesus, which is telling us to turn the other cheek, to help others out. Words of life that our broken, war-torn world so desperately needs to hear today, does it not? Confuse and misled people with no identity or meaning in our culture today desperately need to hear because they are being misled by a false narrative. They are being misled by bad shepherds that neither know God or know how to honour him with their lips. Bad role models, words of life. They need to hear the words of Christ. So secondly, or first, notice that the response to Jesus showing compassion is to tell them, to speak, to share with them. But secondly, notice how Jesus doesn't just look upon them with compassion and teach them, but he meets their physical hunger too. So uh, back to the narrative, verse 35. Uh, to 42 particularly it says and when it grew late his disciples came to him and said this is a desolate place and the hour is now late send them away to go into the surrounding countrysides and villages and buy themselves something to eat i think this is somewhat the disciples showing some form of compassion but it's not what jesus had in mind because jesus answers and says to them no you give them something to eat And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread, which was several months' uh, salaries? And Jesus responds to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. 
And when they found out, they said five and two fishes. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. Some, uh, they sat down in groups, some by hundreds, some by fifties. And taking the, the, the loaves and the fish, he blessed it, looked up to heaven and distributed. And they were all satisfied. Jesus showing compassion is not just preaching, although that is there first, and that is our primary calling to tell people about Jesus. He also meets the physical needs of the people, and we are called to do the same. John the Apostle, who was there and saw, later writes, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, How can the love of God be in that person? James, the brother of Jesus, who was probably there and saw, says, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister was without clothes and daily food. Brother or sister, that is uh, within the church family. Suppose they are without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and be well fed but does nothing about his physical needs. What good is that? What type of faith is that? And that's one of the reasons why we're so passionate about trying to to meet and help the physical needs of the saints here in our church family, that God has given us responsibility to shepherd. That's the reason why we have a hardship fund. It's the reason why, praise God, we've been able to help out with rent and food and groceries and other things, because this is what Christ has asked us to do. This is what compassionate looks like. And our love and our care for believers is not just isolated to the apostles, to the disciples, to the elders or the staff. No, but for us all. Too many people are good in the Christian world at highlighting what is wrong with the church, how the church doesn't meet the needs, but the example laid before us here is to think of others, and that is a calling of every believer. We are all called to reach out, to look towards and seek the welfare of those in our church family and in our communities. God, help us to be moved with this compassion of Jesus Christ. So second point, this story highlights the love and the pastoral care of Jesus. And like a good Baptist preacher, I've got three points and here's the third. The third point is Jesus is the fulfilment of the scriptures. That's why it's here. So not only is it here as a historical event recorded that we may believe, not only is it to show us the love and the pastoral care and compassion of our Lord and Saviour, but it's here to show us, Mark wants to show us, that actually what has taken place here is the fulfilment of the Scriptures. It's the fulfilment of past, present and future that has not yet been fulfilled. Mark wants us to see that in Jesus we find the Messiah. Jesus, God's Son, who is the beautiful fulfilment of the scriptures. He fulfills the word because he is the word. And where others have failed, Jesus reigns victorious. Where others cannot fulfill and satisfy, whether for poor motives or good motives, only Christ can satisfy. Christ alone can satisfy the true longing of the human soul. And Mark's gospel is full of comparing and contrasting these differences between good and evil, between the righteous and the unrighteous, between truths and greater truths. So, for example, consider how Mark chapter 1, whereas Adam disobeyed God's commands and succumbs to the temptation of Satan, Jesus perfectly obeys God's word and, although tempted by Satan, triumphs over them. 
Consider the 12 disciples and the 12 tribes of Israel. Consider sight given to the blind man with the spiritual sight given to those that God has called. Consider the unrighteous and the religious with Jesus, the righteous one. Consider the one who in the storms of life stands up as the one who is God in the storms of life and commands peace and be still. All of these are marked contrasting and showing us a greater than in his eyewitness account. Consider acceptance amongst God's people and rejection of Christ upon the cross. Mark wants us to see such detail. And here in chapter 6, there is even more. Consider how, and I don't know if you've ever done this, consider how there are two feasts mentioned. Have you picked up on that in chapter 6? There are two feasts mentioned. Two feasts between two kings, King Herod and John, verse 21, and Jesus, the king of kings, and us, or the crowds, the Israelites. Herod is evil, and out of his abundance, all of his abundance, his words bring death, the death of John the Baptist. Jesus is good, unlike Herod who is evil, and out of his people's lack, his words don't bring death, but his words bring life. And his his words bring feasting, and plenty, and satisfaction. But the overriding, the overarching, the superseding contrast that trumps all of these things and what Mark really wants us to acknowledge is the comparison between Israel in the wilderness, God feeding them supernaturally through manna from heaven through his servant Moses and Jesus now. So this is the stages set up and it's referring back directly to what is taking place with Moses and the Israelites uh, in the desert, in the wilderness. So Jesus likewise in a wilderness or in a desolate place. Again, look to the text, notice how, or believe me when, when, it, when I'm saying Mark is emphasising this point, three times he brings up that word desolate in this passage, verse 31, 32 and 35. A desolate place is mentioned three times. This is therefore the focus of the passage. That as the Israelites did in the wilderness, call out to Moses, we are hungry, feed us. And as they were fed, what we see here is God's people in the wilderness, once again hungry. And yet a better than Moses standing before them, Jesus, who is God, hears them and once again feeds them. But the point that this is making is pointing beyond this physical need. And showing us and this physical hunger. Because what Mark really wants us to see here in the wilderness is whereas many shepherds have led God's people astray, here stands the fulfilment of the prophecies. The one who would come from the line or the throne of King David, God's anointed, the true and better shepherd. So listen to the prophecy now from Ezekiel 34. And this is just uh, picking out parts of this chapter in order. Ezekiel 34 says, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. These are the, the crooked and the corrupt shepherds that have misled God's people. He says to Ezekiel, prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? 
The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they are scattered, because there was no shepherd scattered over all of the face of the earth, with none to search or seek for them. Don't you see in that, in Jesus, the fulfilment of everything that's gone wrong with that passage? And then moving on, Ezekiel verse 11, it says, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for the sheep and seek them out. Think Jesus now, folk. I myself will search for the sheep. I myself will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them. I will feed them with good pasture. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, I will bring back the strayed, I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong, I will destroy, I will feed them in justice. We're seeing here fulfilment of these prophecies. Jesus is the true shepherd. Jesus is the promised shepherd. Jesus is the fulfilment of God's word who has compassion on his people. He is also the true and the better Moses. Moses in the wilderness offered bread that grew stale and died. Jesus not only offers bread for the physical needs in this passage, but the miracle serves as a physical reminder to show us an even greater spiritual truth that Jesus meets the spiritual hunger of us all. So in John's Gospel, the feeding of the 5,000 is shortly followed by the Jesus great I am sayings. So turn with me if you like to, uh, to John 6:24. And then we will begin to wrap up. John 6, 24. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, When did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves, referring back to this miracle. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Don't just look at this in in black and white linear fashion. It's not just talking about bread. It it can be anything that we're we're seeking to fill our lives with. Materialism, all of these things, false gods, idols, these things that we try and fill our lives with. And Jesus is saying, don't seek for that which perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will, will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him then, what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? They've already seen it. What work do you perform? Our miracles ate manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, now pay note, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven 
and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. To which Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Those who ate the manna died. Those who even ate this earthly bread died. But those who eat the bread from heaven, that is Jesus, shall never die. He is the one that came down from heaven to rescue us, to lay down his life as the good shepherd for his sheep. He is the one whose body was broken upon a cross, something that we're going to gather around and remember shortly. He is the true shepherd. He is the true bread of life. He is the one who truly leads. He is the one who truly saves. He is the one who truly feeds. He is the one who truly offers his peace to you this morning. He is Christ the Lord. Come. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Do you long to be filled? Come to Christ the Lord. The one who goes beyond the physical needs that this world offers. He is the one that satisfies the longing soul. Whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth there is nothing I desire besides you. Let's pray. Father, uh, we come before you now, enjoying the, the silence for as long as it lasts. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it's been written so that we might believe. We thank you that it's been written so that we might see and know your love and your compassion and your goodness to us. But Lord, we also know that it points beyond these physical truths to the spiritual reality that you are our good shepherd. And that you say, come. And Father, wherever we're at, and we're all being different places in this room, whether we're full or whether we're empty, we all come just as we are. And we say, Lord, let us taste your goodness. Satisfy us, O great shepherd of the soul. Feed us, Lord, now we pray. For we long for you. And we faint for you. Satisfy your people, we pray. In Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. To find out more about us, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk.